Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Do you believe you can live a pain free, vital life? Do you want to step back into your power? and share your gifts with the world? Are you ready to make a commitment to you? It's time to reclaim your inheritance as a self-healer. Welcome to The Nature of Healing. Hello, healers. I'm Roseanne. Today, I have a woman who seemingly can do it all. And believe me, she is as effective as she is because she loves everything she does. To start with, Catherine Carroll is executive director of the National Health Federation and sister organization Foundation for Health Research. Catherine is a writer and managing editor of NHF's magazine Health Freedom News. She's editor of NHF's e-newsletter and is on the board of directors of the National Health Federation Canada and the advisory board for Green Mad Info. Catherine received the NHF 2014 Health Freedom Hero Award for her work at Codex Alimentarius, actively shaping global food and nutritional supplement policy from 2012 to present, participating on the NHF delegation. She is also a frequent contributor to several publications and is working on several books. And if that's not enough, she is a certified natural healer. She did that in 1995, and she brings her experience as a nutritional therapy practitioner since 2004, and she does research and writing on top of that. Catherine is also co-owner of her and her husband's optometry clinic, Medical Vision Center in Morton, Washington. Additionally, she continues to develop Adidam Sanctuary, their Pacific Northwest bed and breakfast in nearby Mossy Rock where a 16-acre organic farm and bird sanctuary is maintained. And over 5,000 guests have enjoyed the serene sanctuary there since opening in 2010. Welcome to the Nature of Healing podcast, Kat. I'm going to call you Kat because you're my friend. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Thank you. Yeah. You recently described yourself to me as an innkeeper, servant, steward which I find very intriguing. You could also, though, be described as a healer, health freedom advocate, and earth keeper. You obviously wear many hats, which no doubt keeps you busy, but it also must feed you on many levels, Kat. You must be getting a lot out of what you've created for yourself. Well, Roseanne, I really like that earth keeper part. It's a very apt description. Aditum actually works me to the bone, and yet it fills me to overflowing. It's kind of an enigma. We just felt in the final analysis that we had to share this space. The views are territorial, and I think people need that enlargement of their own heart. I mean, I've traveled enough in Europe and woken up in hotels looking at somebody else's chimney or the back of a brick wall. We need to have the expansion of our vision, and that's part of what created Aditum in the first place. Amazing. 
And I'd love to learn more about your gorgeous sanctuary, which is one hour from Mount Rainier. Uh, I've seen photos of the forest surrounding your retreat destination, and it just looks amazing. And we'll put a link to your website in the show notes. I know this place, which is your home, represents much more to you than a mere bed and breakfast in for guests to recharge. But before we talk about the sanctuary itself, I want to know about your life journey and what led you to create this oasis? Hmm. Well, it probably started, Roseanne, when I was in my 20s. And my mother, who is very influential in my life, she was kind of my greatest mentor and great, greatest tormentor, if you mm-hmm. could identify with that. Uh, she, she gave me a book of uh, how to be an innkeeper. And for some reason, it struck a chord with me. And I was not exactly innkeeping material, which just goes to show you what uh, God can do with somebody's life who just is open and willing to be led and, and have that incredible energy channel through them. But um, anyway, I, I started writing and uh, there's a verse in Habakkuk 2 that says, write the vision and it will come. And I just started writing and writing and writing about what I wanted. And, you know, in, in my mind's eye, I never saw it once. I don't have that gift of being able to close my eyes and imagine uh, it, everything as, as it would be. So uh, it kind of started from there. But it also started because it went way back to my childhood where I was raised on a city lot in Bakersfield, like what we call now the armpit of the nation, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, in that valley that collects all the smog from L.A. And it's close to the Imperi- Inland Empire, which raises all the vegetables, but they, they, it raises it with a bunch of chemicals. And my parents actually were pioneers of crop dusting, my mother in particular, not so much my father. So I wanted, yeah, I I wanted to create something that was pure and special and the way that it came from, from the origins of creation instead of after all the manipulations of man. Well, you're doing something interesting. You're, what we like to talk about is leaving the earth um, sacred or, or clean for our children, but you're doing the opposite. You're actually repairing what damage was done before <laughs> you grew up. <laughs> well, you know, somebody pointed that out to me recently that I was almost like repairing the things that my parents did. And, you know, I don't want to make them wrong for it, but I am definitely encouraged and, and also amazed that I'm sitting at the at the United Nations level, regulating chemicals globally now. I mean, it's almost, it, it is literally almost mind-blowing. Let me tell you a little bit about my mother. She was a little uh, Southern girl, and she was, uh, her mother died when she was nine, and she was left raising seven children as the head, as a nine-year-old. And so one day when she's 17, she looks up and she sees an airplane go over. And I don't know that she had ever seen an airplane in her whole life. So anyway, that man became her husband. And that man was the one, Jack Reynolds, who was pioneering crop dusting. 
And back then, you know, chemicals were a little bit like vaccinations in the early days. They weren't so bad. It, it actually helped farmers. If you were about to lose your crop of cotton to a bull weevil, you'd be so grateful that somebody came over and sprayed it and allowed you to reap that crop. But it got to be where it just got out of control, exactly like the pharmaceutical and the vaccination situation today. Mm. So anyway, um, she was she was his wing walker. <laughs> She's just this little tiny thing. The 115 pound, like her waist is smaller than my thigh back then, <laughs> literally. I mean, just this little tiny thing on top of an airplane. And he had her strapped down. She didn't even have a parachute on. And she's wing walking during these air shows to promote crop dusting to these people. It was kind of a novelty back then. And then she got into parachuting. And then she took lessons with Bell Helicopter and became the 15th woman helicopter pilot in the free world. And so uh, she became a worldly girl. That's an elite group of women that they're, they're in uh, full swing today with women helicopter pilots. But back then, they started using them for spraying, getting into places maybe where a big ag cat or groomman couldn't get in. So it just one thing led to another, and it finally led to Cuba. So that was an interesting part of her life. She literally got forced down by the Cuban Air Force for invading their airspace. And they took her to Morro Rock where they, she talked about um, prisoners or whatever getting put into the pool of piranhas and you'd never see them again. She has so many stories about her days in the chemical industry. And they were, they're fascinating and they grab your heart. Uh, we were working on a documentary at the time of her death, but you know where that led, and it led to the same place where Big Pharma has led us from the very first vaccine today. It's just not a good place. You're right. I think that uh, you've identified that somehow I've been selected to try and make amends or <laughs> repair or halt some of where all of that led. Well, that's a beautiful connection that you make. And it seems like she was the daredevil of her generation, you know, and you are kind of taking up that, that torch in a different way. <laughs> um, well, I'm telling you, there's no way I would jump out of an airplane. There's no. no way you could just strap me up. I can't even believe she did it. But yeah, she was a powerful woman and she went on to write for aerospace aviation magazines and teach entomology, you know, the study of bugs and what kills them. And, and, uh, but, you know, she was raised on the tobacco farm. And the whole family history seems to be steeped in things that are just not right. My uncle took over that farm, and it became a pig farm. And that sounds great, but guess what? They were those kind of pigs that we fight against at Codex, the ones raised inside little cages where they can't turn around. It was just wrong. And that uncle died a horrible death. I mean, these people who are engaged in, in these industries and they partake of the fruit of their labor, they end up suffering the consequences, I have to say. Yeah, but I find it interesting that even though, you know, you have this image of your family back in that generation, you know, they were doing it based on what was 
presented to them, you know, and, and they made the most of whatever they were, were given, then you are just as powerful as your mother, but you do it differently. You do it through writing and through being an advocate at the Codex meetings and in so many other ways, offering this beautiful sanctuary to people who want to respite um, and then enhancing the soil, I guess you could say, um, so that it, it's nourished. And I know you don't want to take away from your parents in any way, but you are enhancing what what happened during their generation. Maybe that's that's a way you can come to terms with everything. Well, I guess I could say I'm making it try to work because it's gotten out of control. And I feel so incredibly privileged to be a part of NHF, the National Health Federation. And I was able to meet the early founder Charles Cresselius, he was the second president, and I met him in his 90s. And I have to tell you, Roseanne, there was such light in this man's eyes. His eyes were engaging. He was engaged as an activist in his, in his 90s. And he was telling Scott and me who visited three times we got to be in this great man's presence. He was telling us how to run NHF. And, I mean, Scott, he's the president, not me, but giving mm-hmm. instructions and, and just still completely engaged. And so to be able to go to Codex, and that's the meeting in China uh, that handles pesticide residues, and to be able to sit at the table with Russia, China, Japan, the United States, Canada, you know, every country, 99% of the world is, is a Codex member at this point. And Codex, as you know, is a United Nations sanctioned marriage of the FAO and the WHO. And then in the 90s, the World Trade Organization entered in. And that's when things, from my perspective, maybe not Scott Tipps, uh, president of NHF, who's the head of our delegation, maybe he doesn't agree. But to me, um, from my analysis, when World Trade entered this stated goal of food safety and unfettered trade across international borders. That's when things got ugly. Well, I actually went to one Codex meeting that said that don't bring your political agenda through the door. In other words, you know, you let's come and let's debate these issues without your country telling you what you're going to do and what you're going to come away with. And we already know that industry has their agenda. So, uh, this whole chemical thing, you know, coming from this background and and seeing what it did to my family and the horrific deaths and um, you know they I have to say they did not have an easy death not not really one of them or easy illnesses leading up to those deaths let's say hmm. so uh, it's, it's every every person who comes through the door of Adjutant Sanctuary I tell. This is an organic, these are organic acres or whatever, you know, it's not exactly a farm. I don't know what you call a farm. We have a ton of food here. We don't have any animals except for a bunch of rescue German shepherds. But I always tell them it's organic. We don't use chemicals here. And the consequences of those chemicals are right down there on the wall at the entry. And each of my parents' names and my sister's name and what I call the dashes between where they lived and died, you know, they're, they're all recorded there, a living memorial. And so we, we just have to move away from this thought process that things should be run with chemicals. 
And I'm so happy to be aligned with NHF that's able to make that impact at the seat of power for the world, which right now is Codex. Interesting. Well, if we reap what we sow, then you, Kat, have set yourself up nicely, I think. (laughs) Oh, I hope so. Well, I'm telling you, it's a lot of hard work. And, you know, when we developed Aditum years ago, um, I can't even believe we did it. it. We were happily ensconced in the capital city of Olympia, finishing rearing my children on five acres there. And the, the Benedictine monks make a vow to the land to care for and live on that land until they die. And in my heart, I had just made that vow. And even though it was rock, we lived by a town called Little Rock, and it was for a reason because there's little rocks and the ground is full of them. It's really huh. not good, good farming or anything. But uh, anyway, I made my vow, and, and then my husband asked me to move a little closer to our optometry office because we were driving an hour each way. So uh, I agreed to do that. And so that's how Aditum really started was just um, looking at this place and considering that we might be 10 minutes from the optometry office versus an hour and, and going for it. But I have to tell you what happened, Roseanne, mm-hmm. when we, we saw it, um, first, like years before, three years before, and I turned it down. (laughs) I'm a California girl by heart, and I was telling the realtor, I'm not going to pick up those sticks, you know, like, who's going to do this work? (laughs) (laughs) And and he's like, Kat, you're in Lewis County now. It's not like that out here. And I said, no, I don't want it. And so, strangely, this amazing property sat on the market for three more years. Uh, If if there was ever an omen that it was intended for us, it was that. And so Paul, who was our realtor, called us and said, come, let's look at it again. And he had opened up the view. I think the view was obscured by maple and changed the road configuration or something. Anyway, it was appealing. And so I stood up on a stump and thought, well, this is kind of what the view would be. And Right then, two eagles came over my head, and then two more, and then two more, and then two more. I had eight eagles circling over us. So at that time, I had been studying Bullinger's Number in Scripture. It's a really ancient book from the 1800s, (laughs) and eight is the number of new beginnings. Wow. And I turned to my, yeah, no, it was outrageous. It was It was absolutely undeniable. And I turned to my husband and said, okay, get the checkbook that we're paying. You know, we paid full price, which was really a pittance. And the place had stayed on the market waiting for us to come. So this whole place is just a place of miracles. It is. That's why you must call it the Miracle House. I was going to ask you that question. (laughs) But I have another question about the house. What does Aditum mean? Well, you know, it means sanctuary of the spirit. And I don't exactly recall how we learned that. I wish I could remember the day when we thought, oh, Aditum, that's got to be the name. It's a, a, a sanctuary without doors. And frankly, I am so over-organized religion. I am so over um, 
you know, the, the defects within it. And especially uh, the article that I recently shared with you about artificial intelligence and Catholic priests and, you know, mm-hmm. making AI a priest and all of this. I mean, this is just crazy. This is ludicrous and, and spiritless and, and all of that. And so um, we adopted that name and, in retrospect, we felt we made a little bit bit of a mistake because people don't really know what they're getting into. Is this a retreat? Is this lodging? Is this a church? You know, it, if you're thinking of marketing, we made a huge mistake. But if you think about what it really is, and our tagline came to me in kind of what I call a channeled way. I'm not sure channeled is the, the right word, but it just came Mm -hmm. Uh, reconnect with all that really matters in life in the beauty and peace that is additum sanctuary. And so it flowed, it came, we didn't have to struggle over it and it marked its own intention. It marked its own destiny and it's really held true to that in its now 10th year of seeing these 5,000 individual people or so. I mean, I'm stopped counting. (laughs) Wow. Your passion is obvious (laughs) and you really embody the meaning of that word. You really do. So what are you getting out of this being an innkeeper or a steward of the land? What are you fulfilling by, by being this? Well, I, uh, I, I don't even know if I can answer that. I mean, I, my father was very big on training for a trade, you know, and, um, I can't say that I entered my life knowing what I wanted to do. Everything that's happened to me has kind of found me. And to answer your question in in a bigger way, I suppose, when I was about 20, I had the wisdom to ask what my destiny calling in life was. And I see people in their 50s and 60s who've never asked that question. And I think because I asked that question, I was led into what would benefit me the most, the world the most, and again, going back to repairing perhaps the damage to the world, to the earth, that crop dusting and chemicals and that whole aviation, ag aviation industry has done. So I think if we surrender to the bigger picture of realizing that there actually might be a destiny that's set for us. And are we on this treasure hunt to find what it is? Or do we just take the road of security and this and that? I mean, Roseanne, when we did this, when we did this with Aditum, it was ludicrous. We were in the middle of the Great Great Recession. Money was very tight. And we have an optometry practice that's based on timber industry. And the timber industry was seizing up money was seizing up. I don't even know how this was built, frankly. I mean, it it came with um, inheritances that we didn't expect. Even the purchase of the land, you know, I don't know how it is in Wisconsin, but in Washington, you can't get a real estate loan for raw land. You have to own the land, and then you get the loan to build the house. We had a strange inheritance come in right when we were standing there with eight eagles going over our head. And it paid almost totally for the purchase of the land. 
So I wow. guess. Uh, I love that story. That is just, it oh. chills up my spine. You know, you are just meant to do this work. That's all it is. And you know that, obviously. Well, that's true. And, you know, that's not even the portion of it. We would have totally been viewed with egg on our face, you know, the idiot, the suckers of the world, because we came in with $400,000 thinking we're going to build this. And, you know, I just trusted, I've, I've never built a house before. I came from an 1800 square foot spec home on five acres and I was in love with the land and the house was a little more difficult. You know, I was rearing three children in way too small space and lots of tension and all that. So uh, I, I seriously didn't know what I was getting into, but um, we took the leap and money kept flowing in from unexpected sources. That's why I, I don't know if I'm answering your question specifically. I'm sorry oh, if I'm not. Beautiful. But, no. Uh, just, Take it just away. To <laughs> just to tell you, um, you know, that whole deal about the secret. And I haven't read that book in so long, but uh, I think it's about, you know, you manifest because you imagine this stuff. Well, I have to tell you, that's seriously not what happened here. I did not even want this. I had been to, my son was on an externship at the Equinox uh, restaurant back in Vermont. He was a professional uh, Culinary Institute of America chef. Now he, he ended up working on this house and became a carpenter when he burned out on that. But anyway, I picked up this book uh, called Yankee Simplicity, and it was all about paring down and, you know, drop your gym membership and do it at home and be chilly and all of that stuff, save money. Uh, I was there. I mean, we, we really were not well off and we were just kind of scrimping and this and that. And that was my mindset. We did not come into this thing with a ton of money or anything that you would think, oh, I'm going to make this thing. It seriously is just like a miracle. And when I look in retrospect, I, I, I have a hard time reconstructing how it all came about because it's not logical. It just doesn't even seem possible. Wow. But anyway, that's where we began with it. And, and when it was clear that uh, we were going to build this thing, my friend said, do you know how bad you're going to look making a, a literal castle overlooking the lake? We have two lake. We have a Lake Mayfield we overlook. We overlook the Tilton River, the Cowlitz River, Ikenswa State Park that divides the two. We overlook blueberry fields. We overlook bold fields. The views are territorial. You can see for miles. And she said, why in the world with your practice, who's mostly on welfare, in Morton, why would you want to, well, not mostly on welfare, but let's say predominant, this is a pre predominant feature of our county. Why would you want to put yourself out there like some castle owner? And it was kind of shaming, you know, and I had to think about it. And having read the Yankee Simplicity book, I thought, well, I don't even want it. I mean, I've made this vow to my, to my little humble five acres that's hard to farm but I made my vow and I'm going to stick with it. And yet, you know, I followed along here. So I, there was like a year where I had to rub this abundance oil on my belly button and say, I'm willing to accept the abundance that you're giving me, God, I'm willing to accept it. So this deal of us manifesting, 
all of that. I don't believe, I don't believe all of it. I mean, maybe some of it's true. For me, this thing was foisted upon me. I was selected and chosen. The exact same with NHF. You know, I, I was selected and chosen. Scott Tips walked through my door as a guest one day. And that's how the whole thing started with that. So I, I really cannot say that we created anything here. I think it was done for us. We were just the feet that moved it along. You really epitomize how manifestation happens. You allowed what was coming to you to come to you in its own time. That's what happened. Mm-hmm. It's not that you were trying to manifest it. It did. And it was meant for you. And you allowed it to happen. Hmm. Well, that yes, I think that saying yes to life is a huge part of it. But I do, I do resonate with what you say very much. And, you know, as far as the NHF piece goes, we were doing a, um, uh, the first office trial on macular degeneration and red wine extract in our office because we have a high, high level of macular degeneration. And so, you know, back in 2011, Scott Tiff came through the door at midnight with Bill Sardi, who's a famous uh, writer. I mean, the man is an amazing researcher. And also Stu- Dr. Stuart Richer, who bought the first cures for macular degeneration to the world in, I believe, the ARED study. And so these guys came through the door at midnight back in August, and we proceeded to move forward with the study at Medical Vision Center in Morton. And so that's how the whole NHF piece came. From Scott lives in Europe, so from 6,000 miles across the pond, here, this saying yes to life thing appears on the doorstep after he hands me a magazine that he had, you know, he's editor of the Health Freedom News, of which now I'm managing editor and writer, but he had written this article on ractopamine and handed me the magazine as a, an offering, a, a, a gesture. And in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm so tired. <laughs> it's the end of my season. It's August. Do I really look like I have time to read? <laughs> but graciously, I took the thing into our far infrared sauna, which our our uh, bed, and bre- bed and breakfast has a couple. And back then it was a bed and breakfast. I was actually cooking. Mm-hmm. He saved me. <laughs> he saved me from that. We turned it into <laughs> more, more of a walk-off type of thing, but uh, uh, more vacation rental and got me out of the kitchen and into the world. But anyway, he gave me this article on ractopamine. And, you know, like I told you, that family farm that was a tobacco farm, when my uncle took it over, he made it into a pig farm. And the, uh, in Scott's end notes, it's funny how the man's a fantastic writer. I mean, I really don't think you'll find a better writer as well as documenting everything. So uh, lawyer-like that in the end notes, he had this little tiny end note about these downer pigs. And when they gave the raptopamine, which is that vetin, it's a steroid-like material that they give these animals to beef them up, to add extra lean mass which adds weight for the farmer and they don't withdraw it prior to slaughter. So it has implications that are very negative to us in our physiology that mimic heart attack and panic attack. But anyway, um, I was looking at the, the end note 
and I noticed downer pigs vomiting and shaking. And Roseanne, have you ever raised farm animals at all? No. Well, when I was rearing my children, we had a pig. (laughs) And the day it got slaughtered was the day it knocked me down in the pig pen, you know. But uh, they're the happiest little animals on the farm. I mean, they're joyous. They cavort. They're they're literally joyous little bundles of energy. And to think that we would inject this thing or give them this thing just to make a buck off of them and then rear them in pens where they couldn't even turn around or anything. It, I came out of that sauna absolutely livid. Mm-hmm. And I told Scott, sign me up. And so that's how the whole NHF thing began. One article written by one man touching one person. And now it brought me into the Codex Arena that touches seven and a half billion people. The whole thing blows me away as much as the creation of Aditum in a miracle. I mean, it's crazy. It is a miracle. I mean, everything happens there for you, you know, that spot on the earth. That's where you're meant to be, to do your work that you're doing now, to bring joy to other people, coming to find peace um, and to reconnect reconnect to the soil, to the earth. You're doing a lot Mm -hmm. in just in one spot. You're like a turtle. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I want to stay here. I I have to tell you that when I go to China and places like that, that's really the the part of me that's created Aditum the best, I would say, because if you've gone to, you know, indoor, we we fly economy, or I do, you know, uh, Scott has a mother who has been able to give him, she worked for the airline industry, so he gets comped some things. I always fly economy by myself to these places, and so... Uh, 17 hours with my knees to my chest, ending up in Beijing at the middle of the night. You get into the the uh, hotel room and there's not even water. So um, the, those experiences have really helped me to create a really wonderful experience for our guests. Because the thing that I hear quite a bit, apart from the "Oh, this is like heaven" or "a slice of heaven" or "this is like an Eden," is "Gosh, cat, you thought of everything." Well, yes, because I've been in those situations of being a traveler and 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 also been schooled by I don't know if you know Alexandra Stoddard and I don't even know if she's still living, but it's amazing how many mentors we can have who are dead. You know, they're dead. And yet they or they're or you never meet them and yet they change your whole life. So this woman was an interior designer in New York and I have to say she taught me almost everything I know just by reading and immersing and and listening to how she thinks and how she creates everything is needed as at hand, you know, type of thing. So it's been a model that's really worked here. Well, you're a very thoughtful woman. <laughs> and oh. you've also been a woman who's been to the most Codex meetings. Can you tell us about your experience attending the Codex meetings? Anything particularly memorable uh, that stands out for you that you can share? Mm, well, there's several. I remember one meeting in Beijing, and the, the Chinese chairman, he's very short, and he's very passionate, and he got up and basically said, we are not here to debate the safety of aspartame. Aspartame has already been decided as safe. 
And, you know, can you imagine having to sit there? I wanted to shake the man. <laughs> have, you, have you read anything recently, you know? Uh, in our optometry office, it's on the on the list, you know, of screen. There's like 90 symptoms. Some of them are are optical, but uh, no, that was just one thing. Uh, my first Codex meeting was in Ottawa, Canada, back in 2012, and it was on food labeling. And there was actually a Re- Reuters reporter at this meeting. Uh, strangely, these as important as the decisions are that come down from Codex. There are not any media there. There's no media in some of the places you cannot take pictures, like Germany. You can't film, which I always try and film Scott's interventions and feed things back real time to give people a real... That This is one of the beauties of being on the e-list. It's, uh, that website is thenhf.com. And if you sign up for the e-list, then you get these real-time feeds of what's going on behind closed doors and there are not people sending this stuff to any news agencies but us and i think codex finally caught on and now they're doing a little bit of their own but of course it's not really uh, how we're reporting it but anyway there was a reuters reporter there and he was anticipating this decision on gmo labeling and they kicked that down the road to another meeting but um, anyway, the, the, the meetings are really tedious, Roseanne. It, I told Scott early on, this is my version of hell. Like every jot and tittle, you know, line by line, agenda item by agenda item. Um, for promoting safe and healthy food, when you see what's served on the table for the breaks, you would just laugh. And I think, seriously, it's almost a conspiracy designed to put you to sleep. Because once you get back in to what I call the meeting from hell, you know, incredibly boring, then they spring on you something super important. And at my very first meeting, when I was feeling really sleepy, I all of a sudden heard MSG being called natural salt, and that was going to go on the label. I mean, if that doesn't wake anybody up, I don't know what will. I can't, I can't use that stuff. And then they got to the trans fat in the baby formula. And I was thinking, trans fats in baby formula? Like, really? So that that's one thing that kind of got me to hook into Codex and realize this is more important than I thought. It, there's a huge learning curve to Codex. Uh, it took me literally years before I figured it out. And... It, it, you know, we've actually been there longer than a lot of country delegates because these uh, kind of bureaucratic people come and go. So we have an advantage of long history, understanding how the eight-step process works. And Scott's very good at explaining all that. But um, anyway, there was another experience uh, at the Codex Committee on Nutrition and Foods for Dietary a special dietary uses in Germany. I've been there eight times, or I think this will be my eighth or ninth this year. This Iranian delegate man came up to me, and out of the blue, this man walks up to me, and he says, don't you know everyone in this room hates you? And I was like, my heart just like stopped. I seriously didn't know. I was just too new at that point. 
And since then, I've been on the committee every year. Like I said, it'll be my eighth year. But back then, I said, no, uh, I wasn't aware why. And he said, every time you open your mouth, you cost us all money. And he said it with such a vehemence, you know. So I started to catch on back then that NHF had this power to sway the room. And largely, I have to say, it's due to the fact that we have a real lawyer overseeing the proceedings. These people who are there are food scientists in their country bureaucrat types. They do not think from the standpoint of legal uh, terminology, implications, the weight of uh, the weight of shifting the the global economy with a word. So NHF has this huge advantage. At the last meeting, we cost Merck millions of dollars at the last vet drug residues. I have never seen such a spectacle, and I know that Scott's reported it, but it was actually rather humorous to watch this little this little angry man. You know, Scott and I came in with a delegation of two. The Russian Federation might have a delegation of seven. Guess how many Merck bought? Forty. Forty people. Oh, my goodness. They filled up. I think there were six or seven hundred people in the room. I can't remember because we go to so many and the numbers vary, but really like 40, did you bring the whole army? And they lost and they lost. And NHF argued so successfully against it. Uh, I can't remember if it was, um, oh, it was Zilpaterol, the other, the um, twin to ractopamine that's 125 times stronger that they're trying to push through now. And so Merck's like, well, we're not accustomed to not having our standards put through, you know. So we face these people again in uh, May in Ohio. And this is really why we desperately need the support of people. Because these meetings cost money. They cost time. They cost me time away from my business. I've lost untold thousands of dollars shutting things down so that I could go to China or Germany or Ohio or wherever to represent NHF with Scott Tips and other people on the delegation, you know, whomever we happen to bring with whichever committee that we're doing. But um, anyway, that's, uh, those are some of the things that come to mind. I have, I have some others, but the, the bottom line is Codex has too many data gaps. They have gaps in science. They're using JECFA, which is the Joint FAOWHO Expert Committee on Food additives to be um, scientific basis and countries like Africa they tend to put their trust in these governing bodies and the biggest problem I see really is that people are not doing their due diligence they come into codex they listen to the JECFA decision and they go with it not realizing it's biased science and we've actually called it junk science and I did it on social media, and we got called down from the head table for doing that. But we're willing to be hated. It doesn't bother me in the least. You know, we're not there for any other reason than to really try to secure food security and food integrity. 
Well, the fact that you're still there, both of you as a strong team really shows that you're needed there. And, you know, if they would have been able to get rid of you, that would have happened by now. So this Iranian man who told you how everybody hates you, he's obviously wrong because you've been so successful, you know. Oh, they they do hate us at Codex. I I really think that he's accurate in that. Uh, We are not liked. I have to tell you, Roseanne, there's nothing more, I, I wouldn't really say humiliating because my emotions aren't engaged in it, but at these um, functions where the, every Monday, where the, when the codex starts on Monday, they have a reception that evening. And oftentimes, uh, like in Germany, they'll have some separate thing that the Dietetic Association puts on the following night. Scott and I will literally be the only people sitting at the table. Uh, we're like, uh, you know, we may as well have leprosy. Hated is a very apt word, but uh, they will go back and tell Scott that they admire him, that he's a voice of God, that he's protecting the people. You know, he has a a list of things that these delegates will come and privately tell him that they agree. You know, I think a lot of these people can't speak their mind. They're there on a paid basis to represent their country their industry, whatever. They're delegates who are voting where their thoughts are, right? So their votes support you Mm. in the end. Their votes are, well, number one, there's no voting. There's only consensus. Um. And their consensus um, contribution has to be determined by their by their either head of delegation or their company or country. And so when Scott was talking about when he was on the United States delegation, that sounds real great, but guess what? You're impotent. You cannot do or say or lobby or do anything differently than what the U.S. head of delegation has decided. That's why we have so incredibly much freedom and power Mm -hmm. in this position. It's outrageous, Roseanne. It's outrageous. And also, once we start making our position known, and I do a lot of talking on breaks. I don't talk in the mic at at Codex with my face on the screen. It's like a big football game, you know. Mm -hmm. You see your face on the screen. Scott has been doing that, not to say that I can't or won't. But on breaks where we're talking to other delegates, we're definitely able to share our opinion about how we see things and people seek us out. You know, how do you feel about GMO labeling? How do you feel about Zilpateral? Well, we're not going to not say. So that ends up influencing the room and entire countries. The power shift can be magnificent when you have that. And also a lot of these little countries are following our riding and seeing what does the National Health Federation feel about this? You know, what is the impact going to be on our people? And a lot of them are waking up to the impact on people and the health of their nation, especially the African nations. I have to completely applaud them for really caring about their people and the impact that these decisions are going to have on a a mother breastfeeding and shopping at the local little market on Monday morning type of thing. So it's, it's exciting work. It it does sound exciting and, and scary, <laughs> and and <laughs> you have to be courageous to be there, obviously, and, and to speak your truth, and 
I'm, we're just so grateful that you and Scott are there doing that, helping our, our nation, really representing the people of the nation while, you know, in place of the U.S. delegation. But um, well, We actually oppose them on many things. The European Union actually synergizes with NHF more than the U.S. delegation. In fact, um, one of the recent uh, things that we did uh, we were at the Monday night reception, and I went up to the head of dele- delegation of the U.S., and I said, so are you going to speak for biofortification? Now, that was the thing where uh, this label would be slipped in, but it would contain genetically modified food. And like you uh, and, and most people who've traveled in Europe, you know that bio in Europe means organic. So this was like the, the, the big slap in the face to the public globally, not just the United States, uh, to sneak in something that sort of looked like it was organic, but it was full of GMOs. And so I asked the U.S. head of delegation, what are you going to say about this? And he goes, well, Kat, it's inevitable that it's going to pass. Inevitable. Can you believe that? Inevitable. Like, what did you guys do? Decide this in advance? <laughs> do we have consensus or was there some sort of meeting that went on uh, with Monsanto and Bayer behind closed doors before this happened? So we were absolutely delighted when it did not pass and we were quite vocal against it. So uh, NHF continues to make a huge difference in the lives of so many people. And what's so humbling about the whole thing and I was one of these people. You just don't even know. You, like, who's that? Who's NHF? Like, what's Codex? When Scott came, first came to Additum and he started talking about Codex, I said, what's Codex? You know, and uh, I didn't know. Uh, so many people don't know. And Codex means food code in Latin for those that don't. But life is about a learning curve. And if you're just a mom and a dad and you're rearing children and trying to navigate this weird vaccine mandate stuff, uh, you you really are not going to be thinking Codex, Global Food Code, National Health Federation that's been around since before I was born in 1955. But I have to say, after sitting through the process and even getting to the process, getting to China to do the process, and I don't I don't do real well on date time changes and stuff like that. Uh, you know, it, it's humbling. It's really humbling to know that someone was doing all of this on our behalf without our knowledge. And I have to give full credit to Scott Tips. He's the one who got us in back in, I think it was 2006 or seven, into the global arena. That's amazing. You both are amazing people. I I think this is a great opportunity to encourage people to go to thenhf.com and become a member of the National Health Federation so that you can support this work and you don't even have to leave the country. You can allow Kat and Scott to go in your place, be your voice, um, where the U.S. delegation is not, and, and continue to see these major accomplishments happening. Thank you so much, Kat. You are really a visionary, you know, because you see the big picture and create new connections as you evolve. Where do you see yourself going next from your current vantage point? Well, it depends on which vantage point you're talking about. As far as 
um, Abitum Sanctuary goes, I just continue to listen. I, I really try not to, I mean, I, I have my little book and I write what I want. I write the vision and all that, but I really try to turn this over because I am quite cognizant of the fact that I'm simply a steward of this whole operation, the the um, the business, the land, all of it. When my mother died, Roseanne, um, she literally had not touched keys that owned anything, a car, a home, nothing. She hadn't, uh, she would ask me from time to time because I was executive for her about finances and stuff like that, but she wasn't waking up, looking at her bank account, thinking how she could make money. What did the market do? We we die so quickly with nothing in our hand, and we need to live that way with an open grasp that we don't own anything. This is just the part we play, the talents that we express, the stewardship that we display, and then we move on. And so my big deal about where Adatum goes is mostly listening and asking uh, for guidance and wisdom, and I ask for wisdom a lot. But we do have 10 acres next door, adjacent, land adjacent, and those acres are designated for a 10-room lodge. So technically, Adatum could expand significantly. But what I've learned for my own self in this labor environment, and I hear it over and over from other business owners, I can't find somebody who wants to work. So for my own self personally, I will only do as much as I can handle. And frankly, I can't even believe that we are able to handle 16 acres. These gardens are glorious. They're beautiful. We have literally an arboretum. I'm quite committed to the teaching of uh, botany. People do not know the names of things anymore and getting rare species here and showing how it can all be done organically. But um, other than that, I, I suppose I'll just kind of keep on with what we're doing. We, we've broken all the rules with this particular way of in-keeping. Um, like I said, when I began with NHS, I cooked for one year. We did the typical B&B thing. That was exhausting. There was a lot of waste, you know, a lot of converts, I'd say, to gluten-free and this and that because we serve really high-quality, high um, you know, uh, gluten-free vegan-type offerings. Well, not vegan so much anymore in the sweets. But anyway, um, I suppose that I would um, just say that I would do the same thing here as I'm doing now and see what happens. And then as far as NHS goes, NHF has a lot of room to develop. Uh, we have the Foundation for Health Research, which is our 501c3 arm, our sister organization. And I'm quite passionate. I'm executive director of that as well. And we've actually formed, well, we, have, we hold the NHF Memorial Library through that entity. And we have been working furiously on that library. We literally have rare copies of books. We have the origins of health freedom history. We're holding the beginnings of health freedom history. I mean, how amazing is that? You're like a seed vault. Oh my gosh. I, 
I'm so excited about it. I can't even begin to tell you. And we've, the staff has been scanning it, which is such a laborious, tedious, about like sitting through codex, you know, laborious, tedious, but oh my gosh, is it important to have these very first bulletins? You know, NHF was, um, I don't know if you know this or if you want to go into it, but NHF was started by Fred Hart and Fred's wife, Eva, had cancer and Fred was trying to treat Eva with a frequency device that had been quite successful in animal models and so guess who shut him down the ama you know anytime you get into cancer ama rushes in to or somebody fda ama whomever to shut that thing down right now because it's such big business and so fred was really on to something and and it was helping and ama shut it down and guess what eva died i mean the love of this man's mm -hmm. life died and so instead of making something ugly and nasty in response, he decided to create health freedom. And the man started the entire NHF that we're involved with. And Charles Casilius was second in succession after the decade that Fred ran it. So NHF has such noble, amazing beginnings that are based in love, based in caring, based in open-mindedness and trying to bring new things to market that might work and actually heal, heal people. And so I hope to see the expansion of NHF globally. That's beautiful. And I can see where you get your energy for all of this work. It's, it's your sanctuary mm -hmm. that feeds you and you feed it. It's, it's the cycle of energy that you're, that's allowing you to do this work. And I, we're, we're all grateful for what you do. Um, before mm. we go, what type of writing are you doing? You mentioned that you, you were working on some books. Can you tell us what you're working on? Oh, I wish that there were just one and I was just like a normal person. I, I have to say, Roseanne, I'm a Gemini and, and I'm also named Kat. So I must have like nine lives, <laughs> nine lives and definitely a twin in there. So I, I have far too many irons in the fire. I, my brain never stops. I mean, for years I got by with NHF on four hours of sleep, uh, waking up at three and starting working. But um, right now there's about four or five different aspects in keeping in my tray that I'm working on. And also I have written a tremendous amount on codex and health freedom. And I'd like to compile it and start going through and updating. Recently, Townsend Letter for Doctors and Patients editor, Dr. Jonathan Collins contacted me shortly after the Shape of Water movie came out. And I had written quite a few years ago, alien species about chimera and the amalgamation of human animal um, type of thing. And it's really under the guise of um, preparing for the massive organ shortages, which really, if we just educate people to take care of their body, would we have the organ shortages? I doubt it, you know. Right. But anyway, uh, Jonathan, Jonathan wanted to publish that article in the that article really was based in large part, I have to give credit to Michio Kaku's Physics of the Future, that I had done a book review of his 400 some odd page book back in 2012. The book is amazing. It's a little repetitive. It could have been probably half that big, but um, he gave some amazing projections 
And back then, I don't know if you were at the Health Freedom Congress, but I had proposed that we address this issue of the ethics of how chimera would be treated. You know, they were um, supposed to be killed after a certain number of days in the Petri dish. Well, recently, Japan, it was either Japan or China, it's in the latest issue of the magazine, and I'm sorry, I can't remember which one, but they have broken the code with the world, and they've gone ahead and brought these things to term. So where health freedom right now is on the crux of a whole new world, and it's not a pretty world. I mean, Michio Kaku talked about, do we put these things in the zoo, or will they walk among us? We are talking about creating whole new species right now in the name of harvesting an organ out of them. And so there's such dire and critical things ahead uh, for health freedom. And uh, ethics committees ethics committees are, are deciding things that the health freedom organizations need to be on the forefront of. We need to be informing the ethics committees, not vice versa. So uh, to me, there's just uh, so much ahead for the National Health Federation, for the Foundation for Health Research, for organizations such as yours. And uh, it will impact the way humanity moves going forward. I mean, I really feel, Roseanne, that we are in the generation of the last pure human being. After this, uh, according to Elon Musk, you either amalgamate or you fall behind. You know, you either join with robotic body parts, you know, like maybe it's the new breast aug or nose job or something. You know, uh, we we already have the cochlear ear. You know, we're uh, we're used to amalgamating uh, robotically, but maybe these enhancements that they're suggesting for the future. We'll just view as, oh, yeah, I went and got a breast job, you know, but you're really part robot now. I mean, there's major, major decisions. Yes, it, it's the transhumanist agenda, right? I re- remember reading your article on the chimerism, and it was excellent. You were really mm-hmm. ahead of the curve. And if they're already writing about it, they're doing it. You know, I mean, that's the way, that's the way they roll. Um, but we are accepting the chip. You know, 3,000 Swedes have accepted the chip or are asking for it. So this is the direction most of the world will go. But there are some of us who can say no, who can withdraw consent and refuse. Um, but it's going to be a hard world no matter which side of the, of the line you're on. I agree. Well, the last thing that I think that we need to really be cognizant of is the presumed steel. You know, you, you, you're, you're you're familiar with like a hormonal steels, cortisol or whatever. Well, this is a this is a steel from artificial intelligence on the human spirit, and I'm sure that you saw that beautiful little robot lady. You know, give her interview, and she said, "Well, the main difference is that I don't have a soul." Well, that would be nice if they could obliterate that from us. They've already tried to impact our our gut biome by the influence of GMO, which influences our brain, which combined with fluoride in the water and all that, it makes us so much more easy to control. One, one thing that I really feel people should realize is that Lawrence of Arabia, 
was a major revolutionary figure in the art of warfare. Prior to Lawrence of Arabia's approach, people would go in and annihilate. They would annihilate entire populations and subjugate or whatever. But Lawrence of Arabia kind of got smart, and he would just make them so defeated that they would be marching back into town, not as victors, but as a bedraggled band of soldiers. So that's really what, what the method of operation is being used against us. You know, defeat us enough to where we don't fight back, but then, gee, we're still an asset in so many ways, medically, work, whatever. So we need to fight back. And really, really, Roseanne, what I see at CODES, it's the issue of sovereignty. That word needs to be on everybody's lips. We need to have sovereignty over our nation. We need to have and, and not have CODES, like the European Union right now is suffering great fines for not accepting doped meat into their populace. Why should they have to pay money not to accept dope meat in the populace. This is crazy. And why should we, as human beings, lose our sovereignty because somebody said that we had to have a vaccine, we had to have this, we had to have that? The question now is sovereignty and the protection of our spirit. And our spirit is what gives us the fight to keep going. And it's an, an integral part of that body-mind-spirit complex. You can't just move into the robotic age and subtract the spirit and think that we're all going to be okay. We won't be okay. And so many people don't nurture their spirit already. I mean, that's so much of a part of what Additum Sanctuary really gives people. I can't tell you how many people come and they just sit and I'm thinking, Mount Rainier's there. Uh, Mount St. Helens is about an hour away. You know, all this stuff to do, do, do. They just sit and they soak up the peace. Even Thoreau said uh, he had to sit for like six hours a day and just think. You know, we, we, we need that time to nurture and appreciate that we are a spirit, body, mind complex. We are not just our health, you know or our mental capacity or whatever. So I think this is a big challenge coming up with um, the real forward introduction of AI into, into our lives. And I think it will come fast and furious. I think that we really are witnessing the last era where there's a person who doesn't have a robotic part influencing them. So we're, in, we're on a precipice. Such critical information that you're sharing and saved for the very end. I'm so glad you, you brought that up. And it is the most critical thing. It's, it's all about the continuation of humanity, the human spirit. So, you know, your work is cut out for you and we are wanting to help you do that. We'll do whatever we can in any way. I will include the links for NHF in the show notes, as well as the link to your Adidam Sanctuary for those of you who want to find a beautiful place locally in this country to reconnect to your spirit. Thank you so much, Kat, for your wisdom. 
Thank you. For your stewardship of the earth for and for all you do in your work for health freedom. Well, thank you so much for your time and your graciousness, Roseanne. We appreciate the work you're doing so much, too. Thank you. Thank you. And until next time, healers, lots of love. Visit or consult with Roseanne Lindsay, naturopath, at natureofhealing.org. Or you can find her books at her website and at amazon.com. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.